A lot of people are too nervous to dine in a restaurant right now. So what can you do to help your favorite place? Welcome to Culinary Woman. I'm Mickey Maynard. Come on in and have a seat at the table. Join us. Welcome to this week's episode. And I realized when I was working on it that I just invited you to come in and have a seat at the table. And not a whole lot of you want to do that. In today's episode, we're going to talk about restaurants and the issues that they face in convincing people to dine inside, and also what people can do if they're just not comfortable doing that. To kick things off, I got in my car and I went and had lunch at one of my favorite places. But no, I didn't sit inside either. Well, hi from my car. I'm sitting here waiting to pick up an order at Zingerman's Roadhouse. They've made the process very simple. You go on their website, or you call them, you pick out what you want, you pay for it with your credit card, and then you drive over to the Roadhouse, which is on the west side of Ann Arbor, not too far from I-94, and you pick a spot. They have numbered spots along the front of their parking lot. You shoot a QI code that essentially brings up a form that says, hi, I'm here to pick up my food. You tell them where you are, which spot number, and what color your car is. And then what I generally do is they have picnic tables that are out under a big lawn in front of the restaurant. And I'll essentially wait for my food and then take it over to one of the picnic tables and have an al fresco lunch or snack or breakfast, something like that. But it's October, and in the mornings now, it's in the 30s, and it does warm up. You know, if it's a nice sunny day, it's a really pleasant place to go for lunch. Of course, there's always the issue of rain, and in Michigan, it can snow in October. It snowed when I was a little kid in October, and there's nothing to say it won't snow now. So my outdoor dining is probably going to have an expiration date. Now, of course, we have Indian summer, and we can have weeks of 50s and then it shoots up into the 80s and we can all go out backside again or back outside again but I think one of the issues that everybody in my community faces is by December it's really going to be too cold to sit outside and eat and then I think the big question becomes what next A couple of weeks ago, I asked the readers of the Culinary Woman newsletter to talk about the whole idea of dining inside restaurants. Now, since indoor dining reopened in Michigan in June, I've eaten indoors, I think, three or four times. And by indoors, I mean we actually passed through the restaurant and ate on a patio. So if you count that, it was four times. If you count being seated inside a restaurant, it was three times. 
The other times I've either sat outside on outdoor patios or on the street, or I've gotten delivery or I've gotten carry out. And for me, delivery and carry out are pretty normal anyway. But, you know, what I found is that I really miss the hubbub and the fellowship and the fun of going inside a restaurant. I tend to go to maybe three or four places as a regular. So I know the staff, I know the chef, I know the front desk people, I know the bus people. And, you know, they're friendly faces. They're part of, you know, my life and I miss them. So when I asked people about this, I was really surprised at the answers. There are people who have not gone to sit inside a restaurant yet, even though their states are allowing indoor dining. And it's been very confusing for a lot of people because indoor dining has opened up and there have been 25% limits and 50% limits and then indoor dining has closed and bars have opened and bars have closed and bars have carry out booze or go cups as you call them and then they've shut the bars and so this whole last six months seven months has been very confusing for people in the restaurant industry the bar industry and for us as customers but what does strike me is the reluctance of so many people to dine inside restaurants and i don't think it's the restaurant's fault i think people simply don't trust other diners there are a lot of us who are diligent about wearing masks i actually forgot to wear a mask one time when i got to the grocery store and i felt like i had a giant she's not wearing a mask sign blinking above my head the funny thing was nobody said a word not the restaurants not the staff at the supermarket not the people that I passed, but I knew I wasn't wearing a mask. But I don't know if you're wearing a mask. I don't know if the person, you know, in the other booth has been wearing a mask. I just don't know what people's health situation is. And apparently there's a lot of agreement about that, that it isn't that people don't trust restaurants, it's that they don't trust the other patrons. And, you know, that's a huge dilemma for our restaurants because I go for the food, but a number of people go for the service. So Pete Wells, the restaurant critic at the New York Times, essentially tweeted that people don't go for the food, they go to be with other people and for conversation. I'm not that way. I'm someone who goes because it's not a dish I can make at home. I don't really cook Chinese food. I don't. I took a sushi class once and we tried doing the outside in sushi rolls where the rice is on the outside and they turned out to look like snowballs. They were so big. So I go to eat cuisines that I wouldn't normally eat at home and for me restaurants restaurants are food and then service and then able to be with family and friends. But essentially, I'm going to eat, you know, I can cook. So when I go to a restaurant, I basically want to get something that I wouldn't take the time to make, or I'm not very good at making. But it's so interesting to see that so many people have decided to sacrifice the fellowship, the service, that kind of thing for months, months. I mean, if you think about it, shutdown began in Michigan in the middle of March. It is now the middle of October and there are people who have not eaten in a restaurant and these are food people. These are cookbook writers and other chefs and people who work in restaurants and they say they're not even going. So the restaurant industry really faces a quandary this winter. Our previous episode was on the hunger winter, and I want to talk a little bit beyond that because one of the things that I want to do is suggest things that people can do to help their favorite restaurant while it's going on, while all of this pandemic fear is going on. 
I'll be back with that after this break. So I think one of the things that people can do to help restaurants is obviously order from restaurants. If you don't feel comfortable going inside, you have a couple of choices. You can get carryout, which means that you drive to the restaurant and pick up the food and take it home, or you can get delivery. And obviously we know that there are a dozen delivery services that are working with restaurants, and some restaurants are actually running their own delivery services. So there's nothing wrong with either of those things. I think of the two, Carry out is probably my preference because that means that I have control over when I go to get the food and I'm only really taking the food from the restaurant to my house. It's a little bit inconvenient to me, but if I'm interested in eating that restaurant's food, then I'll go get it. The second option is obviously delivery. And I think one of the biggest drawbacks for restaurants is that deliveries charge 30 to 40% fees for, for delivering food. And that cuts way into the restaurant's margins. And some of them have decided it's not worth it. So Zingerman's Roadhouse just eliminated home delivery of their food. Now, I got delivery from the Roadhouse, and the Roadhouse knows this, this is no secret. I ordered fried chicken, which I think is one of the best things on their menu. Well, I live about a 20 minute drive from the Roadhouse. Fried chicken in a box essentially steams. So the fried chicken that arrived at my house was not really as crispy as it would have been if I had gone to the restaurant and eaten it. Now, obviously, if I'd gone and picked it up myself, it also would have steamed, but I might have had the opportunity to, to crack open the box a little bit just to let out the steam. And it's not its not really their fault. I mean, this was an experiment for them. They had never had delivery of their food, but apparently it just didn't work out for them. So they've eliminated delivery from the restaurant. You now can go and pick it up as I do on a regular basis. I think one of the other issues with delivery is that restaurants don't really have much control over what happens to the food on its way. So I've had so many deliveries where if I got sushi, the sushi box was knocked on its side and all the trouble that they went to to present it was for naught because you had pieces of roll that had bounced all over the box. And you never know how it's going to be packaged. So if you were to get a noodle soup or a pho or something like that, they really need to package the broth separately from the noodles or you end up with glop. But there isn't always a place on the order blank to say, please package the noodles separately from the broth because I don't want glop. So you might end up with $17 worth of roux and pho. So I think that's one of the issues that we all face is it's not going to be the same as eating in the restaurant. What are we willing to put up with to get restaurant food? Another thing that I think we can do to help restaurants is tip servers or tip the restaurant in all of those boxes where you can tip the restaurant. So I've always been a 20% tipper and I dial it up a little bit if I got particularly good service. And when it's a really cheap ticket, like under $10, I'll throw a couple of dollars on. Um, I think at this moment in time, it's very important to tip well. And there are a couple of reasons. First of all, lots of, lots of restaurants are really struggling. They're struggling in a number of ways. First of all, they don't have the number of customers necessarily that they did before shutdown. 
Now, some places did a lot of carryout anyway, and they're back to sort of steady state with the carryout and delivery, and then the limited amount of seating that they have inside. But some restaurants are down half, 25%. And tipping helps. You know, a lot of places, it goes directly to the person that brings you your food, or it's being pooled by the house. And just think of that as, you know, something that you're doing to help your restaurant stay open. I write a column for the Ann Arbor Observer, a local monthly magazine called Marketplace Changes. And I have been bereft, I have to be honest, at the number of places that were local favorites for me that have closed. One of them is a restaurant called Grazi. Now, I should say indefinitely on hold for Grazi, not closed, because the owners say that this is temporary and they want to try to find a way back to reopening the restaurant. But Grazi was a movie theater. It was the Orpheus Theater, and my parents actually remembered having gone to the movies there. And then about 30-ish years ago, the Main Street Ventures Company, which owns a bunch of restaurants in Ann Arbor, took this site and turned it into sort of a mid-level Italian restaurant, not like the super high-end restaurants that you would find in New York or Chicago, but not casual either. They also own a casual restaurant across the street. And over the summer, they were able to be open at partial capacity and then open on the street. And one of the things that they figured out was that their sister restaurant next door called the Chop House, which is a steak restaurant, was averaging about $75 per person. Grazi was averaging about $40 per person. Across the street, Palio was averaging $25, but they had more space. They had a roof and they had street, and they do a lot of quick turnover over there. So they made it up on volume, as the famous saying goes. But with Grazi, they just made the decision, you know, we've got X amount of sidewalk space. We can give it to all to Chop House at a higher ticket, or we can keep some of it for Grazi and sacrifice some revenue. And they made the decision to temporarily close it, which is something that I think is very sad because we've all eaten there, at least in Ann Arbor, and we all will miss it very much. But business is business, and they had to do what was right for them. Another way you can support your favorite restaurant is to look at all the ways that they're using social media, the web, the other products that they're offering besides just food from the restaurant. I think it's been really a glorious situation to see all of these chefs and food proprietors and cookbook authors pop up on Facebook and Instagram doing these live events. So you heard a clip at the beginning of this segment from Joanne Chang, who is the owner of the Flower Bakery and Cafes in Boston. She was featured in the newsletter as a culinary woman of the week. 
And I think that she's doing just a wonderful job of these weekly flower bake-alongs. Essentially, as she explained, you can buy a kit and make the cookies or the croissants or whatever in your kitchen and watch her broadcast. Or she also provides the ingredients that are necessary for you to just assemble them and bake along. So there's no financial commitment that's necessary. Another thing that's going on are these amazingly elaborate wine and cheese parties that Commander's Palace is putting on. Now, I've always been fascinated by Commander's. A lot of people think it's the best restaurant in New Orleans or one of the best restaurants in the country. It's an incredibly popular and profitable place. And you recently read about T. Martin, the co-proprietor, in the Culinary Woman newsletter. So Commander's shut down in March, and Commander's was closed until September, but that didn't mean that they just sat there on their hands. The first thing that they did was sell some of their most famous dishes in Rouse's grocery stores. I interviewed Tori McPhail, their executive chef for Forbes, in an article about that. They also put together carryout. So, you know, one of the greatest restaurants in the country providing carryout. You just drive up and pick up your carryout. Um, the other thing that they've done, which I think is really wonderful, is they put together wine and cheese tastings that were led by their wine guy on virtual media. So in other words, you, you basically dialed into a Zoom and you got to participate in this hour-long wine and cheese tasting. If you lived in New Orleans, you could go pick up three bottles of wine and cheese and crackers and follow along. And they actually recently had their first national party where they could um, allow people to send in their money and they got a kit and they took part in the wine and cheese party too. Well, New Orleans is a very festive city. You know, anything is an excuse for a party. And people started dressing up. They started to socially distance with friends. They were posting pictures of themselves having these wine and cheese parties. And it just became an event. And it just shows the ingenuity that restaurants are going through now. The restaurants in your town might not be doing anything that elaborate, but I'm willing to bet if there's any chef of any note that they've been talking to people live on Facebook or Instagram, or they've been posting recipes or whatever. I mean, everybody is trying everything to get through this period. And I think it would be nice if you want to support one of your favorite restaurants to sign up for one of these um, viewings or to buy, go buy their cookbook or you know if you want to just get a gift card i th i think they can use the cash right now now a lot of people wonder if there's something bigger they can do than just get a carry out order or you know watch something on instagram and there is legislation before congress that is meant to help the restaurant industry it's the Restaurants Act, but it's been folded into the latest COVID-19 relief plan. It is supposed to provide $120 billion in aid for everything from bars and restaurants to food trucks, food stands, caterers, and inns, and essentially that money would cover costs such as payroll, rent, supplies, and PPE. Now, obviously, as a journalist, I can't lobby any direction for any kind of legislation, but 
you might be interested in getting in touch with your legislator if you feel really strongly about this. The bill has over 200 House co-sponsors and there are 13 senators who've signed on just in the last month. Now, it's it has bipartisan support, but because it's tucked into the second stimulus package, that means that the Senate has to decide to bring up the second stimulus package. And honestly, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime this month or before the election. However, I think there's a very clear need for help, not only for restaurants, but for other people around the country. So if that is something that you feel very strongly about, I would definitely encourage you to write to your senators because the stimulus bill is now in the Senate and tell them that you want to see passage of the second stimulus bill and have the restaurants act included in it. And I'm sure all those restaurant owners, food truck owners, caterers, and other people will thank you very much for that. worth doing even though there's a lot of chaos going on in Washington. President Trump confused everybody a couple of times during the week when first he said there's not going to be a stimulus bill at all. I told the Senate to stop considering it. It's more important to get a Supreme Court nominee and then came back and said oh there should be a bill for the airlines. Oh I would be happy with a bill that gives $1,200 to everybody. My sense is that there's just so much going on and so much uproar over this that there is a chance for a stimulus package and if this is something that you think is important definitely Definitely get in touch with your lawmaker. I think that everything changes now from hour to hour, day to day, week to week. And if people realize that this is important to voters and it might affect the election, then I think you could see another stimulus package. It doesn't hurt to speak up. You know, when the Restaurants Act was first talked about, I thought, you know, there's no way that the restaurants will you know, get anybody's attention in Washington. There's too many people vying to get the ear of the president, the ear of Nancy Pelosi, the ear of Mitch McConnell. And yet they were able to tuck it into the stimulus package and they were able to get that passed by the House. So things can happen. Just keep your fingers crossed if this is important to you. You know, as, as they said in All About Eve, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. That's it for this episode of the Culinary Woman podcast. We hope that you're following us, liking us, subscribing to us. Give us lots of stars if you feel like it. Also, I hope you're subscribed to the Culinary Woman newsletter. You can find that at culinarywoman.substack.com. Our theme music is by John Goodell. For now, I'm Mickey Maynard. Thanks for coming over. Stay safe, wear your mask, and we'll see you again.